You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here at Calvary. And, and today we're kicking off a new series called Home for Christmas. And before we jump in, just want to mention in a few weeks, uh, we're three weeks from Christmas Eve, if you don't know that. Uh, we have two services for our Christmas at Calvary services that day on Christmas Eve, uh, uh, 10.30 and 1 o'clock. So uh, be praying about inviting someone. It's going to be an incredible, incredible day. And uh, I'm so excited. I love Christmas. The only thing I'm a little disappointed in thus far of this Christmas season is we've had no snow. And uh, if you hate snow, I am so sorry that you were born that way. Um, (laughs) There's always time to change, though. Uh, Snow is just the greatest gift God could ever give us. And um, maybe not the greatest, but it, you know, it's somewhere up there. It's at least in the top 100, we'll say that. Uh, but Christmas, Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. Since I was a little kid, I was always the first one out of bed. You know, I remember one year I got up at 3 a.m. and I was ready to roll. I was like, let's go. And um, I love Christmas. It's this beautiful time. It's a magical time. Uh, there's so many things uh, that are wrapped up in this season that I love. I said, mentioned snow. I love snow. Uh, family and friends and, and just the overall feel and joy of this season. You walk through the grocery store or the mall or, or down the street and like the music and the decorations. I, I love this time. It's, it's just this magical time. But Christmas is really this unique time because it's this dichotomy. Wow. Wow. Christmas is both a, it's both a beautiful, wonderful, magical time. It can equally be a depressing, exhausting, and overwhelming time for so many. And, and what often makes Christmas challenging isn't really necessarily what we're experiencing this specific Christmas, but rather how it matches up to our memories of Christmases gone by. We often look back on our past Christmases with these rose-colored lenses and how wonderful and perfect it was. We, whether it was our own personal Christmas memories or, 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 or Christmases that we've read about or we've heard about from others, and, and we compare our current experience with our perception of what Christmas is supposed to be, how it should be. And, and so often it doesn't add up. It, does, it doesn't equal. We, we do this even with our view of the first Christmas. We, we look at this beautiful story of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem, giving birth to the Son of God, placing him in that manger. The the shepherds being interrupted by the heavenly hosts and the magi bringing gifts to Jesus. It's a truly remarkable story, but what we miss is it's not just a remarkable story, it's a real story. Like there were real people. We often miss the reality in the real life that happened in the midst of that story. You see, we can gloss over the details of this Christmas story Almost like it's a fairy tale or something that's just made up that we tell our kids to bring purpose or meaning to this season. But the truth is, the origin story of Christmas isn't made up. It's not fictional. It is a very real story about very real people. And and over the next few weeks, our hope is to walk through the realities of this story that's filled with the same emotion and chaos and sometimes uncertainty that we experience today and to learn the lessons from this real Christmas story and what it can teach us for today. You see, while there is a, a, a definitely an aura to this season, a magic maybe, underneath all the shiny pictures, the special events, and all of our efforts to make memories, there's this struggle 
that we battle with to achieve the perfect Christmas. If you have kids or grandkids, you want them to have the best Christmas ever this year with the gifts you buy, the memories you make, the emotions and the feelings and the, and the experiences you share. If you're single or you're married without kids, like you, you strive to make each Christmas a little more unique, a little more special, and, and maybe even more memorable than the last one. And the tension we feel when we approach Christmas with these expectations is reconciling our feelings when our, 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 uh, what we walk through falls short of what we expected, of those goals, those objectives. Like, what happens? What happens when Christmas is a disaster? What happens with all of those dreams we have for, for that Christmas turn into night, a nightmare? How do you handle the disappointments, the loss, and the frustrations that Christmas isn't immune to? It's not like all of those things just disappear, like your boss is just all of a sudden happy and kind when he wasn't before, or your kids just all of a sudden behave just because you put a Christmas tree up. They're like, oh, the Christmas tree's up. We're gonna be perfect now. We're gonna listen to everything you say and we're not gonna do anything you don't want us to do. Like, that's not real life. Christmas isn't immune to that. So, so uh, what do we do? And over these next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at four lessons the Christmas story teaches us about having a healthy home. And, and, and it's not just a healthy home with kids, but you could be a healthy home by yourself, your significant other, with your kids, your grandkids, living a healthy life, in other words. But what does it mean for you and those around you to be healthy this Christmas? What does it mean to go home and not wrestle with all the stuff you're missing out on, what you've screwed up, or how far reality is from what you'd actually hoped for? What, what if instead of repeating history, we could learn some incredibly valuable lessons from the chaos, confusion, and, and difficult circumstances from that very first Christmas? You see, there's a lot that happened during this Christmas story that's so relevant for the same chaos and confusion and pain that many of us can experience today. It's because all of those things didn't just start happening recently. Like we get this idea that like Christmas has gotten so difficult in the 21st century. Like it's gotten harder, it's gotten more complicated. But did you know if you go all the way back to the first Christmas, the same things were present. Like we, we think that Christmas is all about sleigh bells and Christmas music and joy and peace and, and Christmas is all about those things. And, and, and it is, but, but it's equally about chaos and uncertainty and confusion. Because that's how it started. It didn't start that way. Like, it didn't start with all the sleigh bells. Like, Mary and Joseph didn't ride a sleigh to Bethlehem. If that's news to you, I'm sorry to break it to you this way. But they didn't. In fact, Mary and Joseph took a journey that probably took a week. Mind you, Mary was nine months pregnant. At best, on the back of a donkey. At best. That was best case scenario. Like they, they didn't have heated seats. It wasn't like a nice comfortable ride. She's nine months pregnant, a week long journey. This wasn't a happy, joyous time. It wasn't like everything was perfect and Mary and Joseph were like, this is the best thing ever. People are gonna sing about how wonderful this time is someday. They're gonna talk about how awesome all of this is. And you know what was even worse? They were in the Middle East. It wasn't even snowing. Like, how horrible, how, I mean, everything was stacked against them. Uh, and, and, and when we understand that Christmas, that first Christmas was just as real as our Christmas is, we can learn so much from it. 
Because all those things that we experienced didn't just happen, but they've been happening for years. And over these next few weeks, we're going to talk about next week uh, having a home of forgiveness. And, and the week after that, we're going to talk about a home of joy. On Christ, our Christmas at Calvary services, we're going to be talking about a home of peace. Today, though, I want to talk about what does it look like to have a home of love? Now, when you hear that idea, a home of love, your mind can go in like 10 different directions. Uh, like, is this some Martha Stewart show? Are we just gonna talk about like uh, all of the things we can do to have a wonderful Christmas day? That's not what we're talking about. Uh, you see, the problem is the word love has so many meanings. There's so many different connotations today. And when I say a home of love, I'm not talking about a romantic love between two people. I'm, I'm not talking about a shallow plastic love that's based on feelings or pleasure. I'm not even talking about a familial love that's expressed between relatives. I'm talking about a love we see modeled in the Christmas story that, that isn't unique to Christmas, but, but is one specific example of this love that we see present throughout the whole of Scripture. It's a love that isn't based on circumstances, on pleasure, or even logic. It's a love that is bigger than any of that stuff. And, and this unique love is somewhat hidden or buried in the stories of two of the most prominent people in the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph. And, and today I want to zoom in on these two people in this story and kind of dissect and learn and hopefully be challenged by this unique, unexpected love that was present between the two of them. You see, this story isn't some happy hallmark story where everything was just perfect and fell into place. It had a really rocky beginning, pretty difficult, more than we could even realize in our current cultural context. Here's, here's how the story uh, would begin. It's recorded in Matthew's gospel, the very first book of the second part of the Bible known as the New Testament, very first chapter, opening verses of the New Testament, Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Here's how the story would unfold. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And I wanna stop there. Now, when we hear that, we have a context, 21st century American context that we project into that. Like we picture at some point in time, Joseph got down on one knee, had this giant diamond ring and like asked her to marry him and everyone was happy and then they went and had like an engagement party and it was beautiful and it was awesome and, and like all of that context. But that isn't even close to what happened. Uh, marriages at this time and in this specific culture were actually arranged by parents, and contracts were negotiated by those same parents. There was a contract made, okay? Uh, different from our culture, there wouldn't have been this romantic moment, there wouldn't have been this amazing moment that Joseph got down on one knee, but, but instead it would have more likely been uh, Joseph's parents most likely meeting with Mary's parents over a meal and discussing whether or not they might be a good fit. On top of that uh, was their age. Uh, today in America, people get married, you know, 18 to 30 or 60, maybe, you know, wherever you fall in that. But, but Mary was most likely between 12 and 14 years old. Joseph was probably between 20 and 30 years old. So there's a little bit of an age gap, but also much younger than oftentimes people will get married today. Now, after the contracts would be confirmed by both parents, the two individuals, Mary and Joseph in this case, would be considered married and would be referred to as husband and wife. Uh, in, but, but while they were referred to as husband and wife, they did not live together yet. Instead, the woman continued to live with her parents and the man would live with his parents for one year. That waiting period was to demonstrate the faithfulness of their pledge to purity. 
If she was found to be with child during this period, uh, she obviously was not pure and had been involved in an unfaithful sexual relationship. If that were to happen, the marriage would be annulled immediately. According to Jewish law, the woman could even potentially be stoned to death for her unfaithfulness. So this was a serious deal. If, however, that one-year waiting period demonstrated the purity of the bride, the husband would then go to the house of the bride's parents and in a grand processional lead his bride back to his home. There they would begin to live together as husband and wife and consummate their marriage. That's when we read that sentence that we read a, a few minutes ago, that's what that context was. Very different than what might happen here in America. So that, that's how marriage happened at this time in history. And, this, and that one sentence is what that's describing. So, so now equipped with that context, I want to return to this story that's kind of unfolding here in Matthew chapter 1. So verse 18 again. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together... She was found to be pregnant. Now, uh, that's where things start to go horribly wrong. Everything I just explained goes out the window. Now, it says she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That aside, she was still pregnant. And it, and it goes on. Because Joseph, her husband, who contractually was her husband, not physically her husband, but because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, that's the Jewish law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, while little is said about Joseph in this story, understandably, can you imagine how his heart must have broken when he gets the news that Mary is pregnant? And they have this whole story planned. All of this is planned out. And now his bride, in the midst of that year, is pregnant. Like, his heart had to have sank sunk. He, he was worried, like, what am I going to do now? I know she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, but, but the reality was she was still pregnant. How would he explain what happened to people who asked him? What would people think of, of him? His parents and her parents had to have been horrified. This kind of thing could give them all a bad name in the small community they lived in. But how we know Joseph deeply loved Mary was because of how he responded to this news. He planned not to create a public scandal by exposing her to the judges at the city gate, which is what the law would have called for. He easily could have done that. According to Old Testament book in Deuteronomy chapter 22, such an act could have resulted, as I mentioned, in Mary's stoning and her death by stoning. Instead, he decides to divorce her quietly, meaning to end the contract that was arranged without much fanfare. How this would have happened, he would have done this privately by giving her the required paperwork for divorce uh, and, and uh, by uh, doing this in the presence of two or three witnesses and without any cause assigned instead of taking her to a magistrate where he would have been required to give an explanation of why, why are you divorcing her. Because he did it quietly, he didn't have to give a reason. This is what he had planned to do because of his love for Mary. But if you know the story... That's not how it ended up happening, right? See, Joseph's love for Mary provides this real-world example of this dynamic love that is modeled throughout Scripture and is one of the main ingredients 
of this healthy life and home that we're talking about. This love is dynamic because of the unique building blocks that make it up. And as I mentioned before, Joseph, Joseph didn't initially choose this love. It was chosen for him. He, his, this marriage was arranged. He didn't like, he wasn't, you know, scrolling through eHarmony. Like, she looks nice, uh, seems to have similar interests. I think I'm going to ask her out. Like, that didn't happen. Instead, like, his parents were like, here's your wife. Good luck. He didn't choose it. It was chosen for him. And, and, but, but with this love, we often see, we see this idea that we love in today's culture when it's deserved, or maybe, maybe we love when it most benefits us. Like, hey, I'll love, but there's strings attached. Like, what's in it for me? Based on the Jewish law, Joseph had every right to divorce Mary publicly. And honestly, doing so would have saved Joseph a lot of pain and a bad reputation. In a small rural town like Joseph was from, a bad reputation is really, really difficult to overcome over the span of your life. And, and this is the first component of this unique love that we see between Mary and Joseph. A love that is sacrificial, not circumstantial. It's a love that's sacrificial. This love Joseph showed Mary cost him something. It didn't benefit Joseph. It was ultimately for Mary's good. Joseph wasn't looking to show love when the circumstances were right or even optimal, but he was willing to sacrifice his own well-being, his own reputation, for the sake of Mary's good. Now, now think about this in 2023. When was the last time you were willing to sacrificially show God's love to that difficult coworker, neighbor, even that clerk in the store? Do they deserve it? Probably not. Are you going to benefit from it? Probably not. Or, or what about in your home? How are you sacrificially loving your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, or your siblings? That doesn't mean you enable toxic behaviors, but that you are willing to love others in a way that benefits them, that honors them, and ultimately helps them get better and become better, even when it costs you something. And, and while this potential response to quietly divorce Mary was incredibly admirable on Joseph's part. If you know the story, it didn't end there. Joseph would actually not divorce Mary and end the betrothal as you would have expected, but he, he, did, he made an even greater sacrifice. Here's what it says in verse 20 of Matthew chapter one. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her from the, is from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you stop there and you read our own context into this, this sounds crazy. Like, in today's context, why, why, what, what's he so afraid of? Uh, we believe that, that uh, uh, a husband and wife uh, that sexual relations are reserved for a husband and wife who are married, but in today's culture, like, uh, what, what's the deal? And, and Joseph here is, is, is battling with the cultural context he's in that, that he's going to be labeled. She's going to be labeled. He doesn't want to expose either of them to that. And, and, and now he's wrestling, but he gets this message from the Lord through an angel. Don't be afraid. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And as soon as he would have said that, the angel would have said that, Joseph would have connected some dots as a Jewish man in the first century. And he's connecting these dots and the dots is you're using language that refers to this long-awaited Messiah. This isn't just another person. 
You're using language that is describing a person that is, is written about throughout the Old Testament that is labeled the Messiah, the coming deliverer. This was a big deal. And, and, and this is the second component that we see of this love. Not, not only is it, a, is it a love that is uh, sacrificial, not, not just circumstantial, but it's also a love that is based on trust and not suspicion. A love based on trust and not suspicion. And, and this is so big because what we miss oftentimes is that we want people to, to do things that, that cause us to trust them. We want people to do things that, uh, that back up. But we live in a world and in a time, an age of cynicism, an age of suspicion, of distrust. We don't trust anyone. We don't trust our boss. We don't trust our neighbors. We may not even trust those who are closest to us. But the love of God has called us to show this unique love that chooses trust. Not stupid or blind trust, but trust. It's a willingness to trust first. Sometimes we get this idea that, hey, I'll trust when you prove yourself worthy of trust. But God, God's calling us to love people in a way that we choose trust first. But we don't wait to, to, be, to, to, to earn the right to trust, but that we trust first. Joseph could have been suspicious or cynical in his response to Mary. He, he, he could have even been cynical with what, what God said to him. He, he could have been like, man, sure, Mary, an angel, right, yeah, that sounds like a good excuse. Like, yeah, this baby comes from the Holy Spirit. I've heard that one before, maybe not, probably not. But, like, like that's, that's, he could have been cynical. He could have been so suspicious, like, Mary, I don't know. Let me, let me, check, out, like, let me check out your text messages. Let, give, me, give me the login to your social media. I just want to see your DMs. Who you've been messaging? What, what's, really, what's really going on here? What's really happening? But he didn't do that. He chose trust. This isn't just about Joseph, though. Mary, Mary had this deep love and trust in God that she was willing to trust God with her own body and future when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and told her that she was going to conceive this child. Listen to her response in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 28. She said this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary and Joseph both had so many reasons why they shouldn't have trusted. So many reasons why they should have been suspicious. Now I know there can be a lot of pushback to this, especially in today's society, where trust has become almost, almost taboo. Like, like the people who trust are like, well, you're really naive. Like, what, you're gonna get hurt. And, and we think, well, well, won't I get hurt? What if I get burned? What if someone takes advantage of me? I'm not saying loving others should be blind, but I'm saying especially for those closest to you, choose trust first. Are you gonna get hurt? You might, but it's worth it. Is it always gonna work out perfectly? No, because we're human beings. But the love that God shows us the God, love that we see modeled between Mary and Joseph is a love that chooses trust first. Each of these components of love we're talking about demand this willingness to choose. Not to simply react or respond, but ultimately to make a pre-decision to choose sacrifice, to choose trust. And, and it leads to a final component of a home of love, a, a life uh, that is healthy, a love that is committed, not simply comfortable. 
When love is, is, is just an emotion or a feeling, it's dependent on the circumstances and it lasts only as long as the circumstances are optimal for us. Like we become the center. But this isn't the love that Joseph showed Mary. He didn't choose a love based on optimal circumstances. It wasn't just a, a, a love in a moment. He showed a love that was final and consistent all the way through. He, he didn't retract it. He's like, I'm committed here. I, I'm, I'm committed to this. I'm not, just because it's uncomfortable for me, just because it's difficult or, or trying, I'm committed to this. Listen to what, what it, we read in Matthew chapter one, verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke up from that, that dream that, that angel speaking to him, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. You see, what if our love was completion oriented. What if, what I mean by that is, what if we were willing to love all the way through, not just initially, not just in a moment, but all the way through, that we were willing to be committed. That's a love that is committed, not just comfortable. Think about the impact you can have on your kids' lives. The marriage you will experience, the friendships you will discover when you're willing to exercise a love that's actually committed, committed to something. I would argue that the relationships you hope to have in your life, the adults you maybe hope to raise your kids to be one day, the marriage you hope to ultimately have, none of those things will ever happen without a love that's committed to the finished product, not just a comfortable moment. This this is such a difficult thing for us. Culturally speaking, these three things run in the face of what we're supposed to do. Sacrifice, trust, commitment. Our world hates those things, but we're not called to live in the way the world has called us to live. This Jesus way of life that we see written about in scripture and modeled for us between, uh, in, with Mary and Joseph and others in scripture can run so counterculture, but we're never gonna get the results that, that we are wired to long for without his path, his way. And while the Christmas story is wonderful for its outcomes, and it should be, it's the greatest outcome the world has ever known, where God took on flesh when that baby was born to Mary and Joseph. But how that happened, and the love that was shown on the journey to that pivotal moment, is something that we can all learn from. As the worship team comes today, healthy homes aren't built because people have good intentions or simply wish for it. Maybe for you, you're like, I wanna have a healthy marriage. Or maybe for you, hey, I wanna raise my kids to be healthy. Or hey, I wanna be a healthy person, a good employee, a good friend. I wanna be those things. That's good that you wish for that and you hope for that. But nothing's gonna happen until you choose it. The first lesson of the Christmas story of how a home is built on love, is this, that we have, to, we have to strive to live out, exercise a love that is sacrificial, not circumstantial, a love that is based on trust, not suspicion, a love that is committed, not simply comfortable. And here's the, the, the reality of this. We see this modeled between Mary and Joseph, and it's awesome. But here's what's awesome, even greater about this. This is the love that Jesus would ultimately show to you first. See, see, we think, man, 
this is so hard. How do, I, how do I love in a sacrificial way? How do I love in a way that puts trust first? How do I love in a way that's committed to this person or to these people? How do I love in that way? How do we know to do that? Mary and Joseph are a great example. The greatest example was Jesus. See, he loved, we celebrated in communion today. He loved with a sense of sacrifice. He would literally die a gruesome, painful death. Not because he had to, not because he was forced to, not because he was tricked into it. He chose it for you. The book of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the pain of the cross. Jesus chose trust first. And Psalm 139 says that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb, that God in, 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 in invests and in, in, in shapes and forms you with these skills and abilities and passions and dreams. Some of the most talented people in the world are in this room. He's given that to you from the moment before you were even born, when you were shaped in your mother's womb. What does that mean? God trusted you with those valuable things. He trusted you before you ever had a chance to, to earn it. He trusted you first. And, and not only that, God is committed to you. Philippians says that he who began a good work will continue it until completion. He's committed to you. Some of you, you haven't even been committed to yourself. You struggle with this. This Christmas season, you're like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe for you, it's circumstances that you never asked for. Your job, it's not where you want it to be. Your finances aren't where they want it to, you want it to be. You, you had longed to have kids and that's not where you want it to be. You've, you've hoped and dreamed and prayed to get married and that's not where you want it to be. Whatever it might be, I want you to know that God hasn't forsaken you or forgotten you. He is committed to you. He's not just committed to you in this moment. He's committed you for the long haul. He will never leave you or forsake you. This is what Jesus did for us. He loved us with a love that is sacrificial, a love that trusts first, a love that is committed to you. He isn't just committed to you when you can do something for him. He's committed to you before you could ever do anything for him. The Bible says that, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. That before we ever had a chance to help him, to do anything for him, to even deserve his love, he loved us. That's the love we're talking about. And today, if you're here, you're watching online and you've never taken the step to receive that love, you've never taken the step to say, you know what, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Bible-believing person or I'm not like a religious person or any of that stuff, but, but man, I deeply need that love. I've been searching for that love in relationships, in my job, and stuff. I've been trying to find that love and I've never found it. And I can tell you, you'll never find it fully apart from Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you say, you know, Nick, I deeply need that love. I need, I need that in my life. I wanna pray for you here this morning, just briefly, and give you the opportunity to receive that love. Because you know, gifts that are given and, and love that is shown is, is nothing until you receive it, until you accept it. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you as we walk through this Christmas season that we can start with your love because you are a God that so loved the world that you gave your only son. Thank you, Lord, for that first gift of love. 
I pray for those that are here watching online that have never received or accepted that love. I pray, Lord, today, your Holy Spirit would stir them and draw them to recognize life is different. Life is different when Jesus is part of it. Life is different when there's purpose. Life is different when there's forgiveness, when there's love. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here and you've never taken the step to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to his love and his forgiveness, to his way of life, I'm gonna count to three. I'm just gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. As you do that, that's not like some magic thing. It's a commitment. It's a commitment you're making to say, God, I'm committed to you because you're committed to me. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to reach, reach your hand toward heaven and we're gonna pray together. One, two, three. Do you reach your hand toward heaven? Amen, amen. Anyone else this morning? Amen, amen. You can put your hands down. I'm asking everyone to pray this prayer with me together. Whether this is the first time you've ever prayed this prayer or the hundredth, pray this from your heart, not just empty words you're reciting. And my hope is this is the first of many conversations you have with God as you share what's in your heart, the good, the bad, and the ugly things. Would you all pray this prayer with me together? Dear God, thank you for loving me even when I was unlovable, even when I didn't deserve it. Today I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. I commit to live according to your purposes. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.